Hi, this is Matt Shaw, pastor at City Lift Church. If you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love for you to come visit us on a Sunday sometime or join us online, citylift.church. We hope today's message fills you with courage and helps you on your spiritual journey. We exist just to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Enjoy today's message. All right. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing this morning? Uh, Can we give it up for our worship team one more time? Those guys are always killing it. They are absolutely amazing. I'm going to move this back just a little bit. Well, again, today is five for five. You get to hear from five different preachers preaching for five minutes each. Uh, We have a countdown uh, for them. They each get five minutes, and the countdown is going to be super fun. Uh, You are going to love it. Uh, Today, we are going to start with Katya. We're excited. We love Matt and Katya. They're incredible servants around here. Uh, And then I believe we've got Katya and then Kevin and then Evelyn in the house. It was going to be my wife, but I had to fill in for her because we have a sick baby. Uh, And so you'll get me real quick. Uh, I felt bad asking anybody else. You know, I was like, there's like, you get a 30 second, you know, heads up. So I'll do it. Uh, And then we're going to end the day with our good friend and man, Desmond Cook in the house. Always a pleasure to have Desmond. He uh, is leading, man, the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, really all across South Florida. Absolutely, absolutely killing it, man. We love it when you guys get to be in the house. It's it's great to have you guys this morning. Uh, So, hey, with no further ado, would you put your hands together and welcome Miss Katia Rudder as she kicks off the day for us. Thank you. That was a great introduction. Thank you so much. I I decided that I need notes and props and everything today and uh, maybe for five minute sermons a little too much so bear with me guys. (laughs) All right. Um, Again my name is Katarina. I go short for for Katia and as many of you already know I was born in uh, and raised in a country called Moldova that's in Eastern Europe and um, by the nature of being of growing up in Moldova, I speak three languages. So today, God put it on my heart to teach you fluent Russian. Are you ready to get out of here speaking fluently? All right, but for real though, I do have one Russian word that I really want to teach you, and it will pop up here on a slide. It's called zlopamitny. All right, everyone say it with me. Thank you, Matt Rutter, for now mumbling the word. I appreciate it. So this word, zlopamitny, um, actually consists of two words. Um, the first part of it is zlo, and it will come yep, here in a slide, is zlo, which means evil, wrongdoing, or viciousness. And then the second part of it is pamit, which means memory. So the word basically defines a person, or it's an adjective to define a person who easily remembers how it was um, wronged in the past. Um, or basically, it's it's a person that holds grudges, right, in the the more English way. So I grew up with people around me, and in particularly two of them, my father, and then also my music teacher. And um, yeah, I did go to music school. It wasn't a very long endeavor. The teachers literally told my parents, do not waste your money. She's not a musician. (laughs) So they would tell me, these people will tell me in my life as I was growing up that, you know what, I am not Zlopamitny. But I have a great memory, and I can be vicious. So this is kind of in this childhood where my struggle started with forgiveness. So I always knew that it's the right thing to forgive, but also in the back of my mind, I knew that I have a great memory, and man, I could be vicious. So one day, I was fighting with a friend, and this friend, um, we, we did a lot of 
offense to each other, and um, he decided to tell me a story, and the story goes as follows, because this story stuck with me forever. The story goes as, as follows. There was a father and a son, and the son would um, offend the father so often that eventually the father decided to take a wooden brick and put nails into it for every single offense that the, that the son did. Every time the son would do something wrong, the brick would fill in with nails. Eventually, the son got to see a visual of how many offenses or how much he wronged his father and said, Father, for I see how much I wronged you. I'm going to do a good deed. And every time I do a good deed, I ask you that you remove a nail from that wooden block. So deed after deed, nails have been removed. And one day the son come, came to the father and said, look, father, the wooden brick has no more nails on it. But then the father said, you're correct, my son. There's no more nails, but the holes remain. Ouch, that hurt. Um, that to say, we have forgiven each other, but haven't spoke with that friend ever again. See, in this story, the nails, or in my case, this wooden things, represent sin. And then the holes here in the wooden brick is the consequence of sin. The way the world works is that we as people try to make up for our sins with good deeds and actions. But humans are incapable to reconcile their relationship with each other and especially reconcile their relationship with God by themselves or doing good deeds. There's just no way to fill in those holes. The Bible said that because of our sins, we are separated from a justified relationship with God. There's no good deed that is capable to fill in the holes. How many of you know, though, that God doesn't rely on us to do good deeds, doesn't rely on us to fill in those holes or take the nails out? We are serving a God so good with so much forgiveness in his heart that he does not care about this brick. What he's going to do is come and replace us with a whole new, flawless, even tougher brick to represent our heart. In Romans 3, 23 um, through 26, we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received in faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and um, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This word, propitiation, in um, the verse 23, I believe, basically means making things right, or in our case, replacing this old holy brick with a new flawless one. In this whole example of, of Jesus, we are, or we should be informed that in the way that we handle our relationships with God and with other people. And while we might have a great memory, and while me could be vicious, and we can recall the sins that have been uh, committed against us, the Bible commends, not encourages, not calls us, commends us to never cease in forgiving those who have wronged us. 
And even better, we are not just commanded to forgive the others, but we are able to do it by the Spirit of God that lives in us all. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, today I just want to thank you for the overwhelming concept of forgiveness that none of us deserve. You teach us, Lord, to love, to forgive, and while we may remember the way we were sinned, we are no longer hurt by it because we have a whole new, perfect, flawless heart. And I just want to dwell in this um, things. Amen. Next up, we have our own Kevin. Kevin is an amazing speaker, but I want to encourage you to do this today. While he is coming up here, take out your phones and follow him on TikTok. <laughs> Thank you, Katya. That was amazing. Give it up for Katya. <laughs> All right. So I'm a little bit old school. I use pen and paper, and I have my Bible here. I'm Kevin, and I'm going to be uh, preaching for the next five minutes. Uh, I speak a lot, and I'm going to tell you guys a lot of things, so I need you all to pay attention. If you could just do that for me, I'm going to say a lot of things. But the one question that I base my whole speech on is, why trust the Word of God? Why should we trust this right here? Well, for one, in this book right here, the Bible, we have 66 books, 40 different authors over a course of 1,500 years. That's 1,500 years. No contradictions. There hasn't been a book in anywhere in history just like that. Should we trust the word of God? No, but we should consider it at that point. History. With history, there have been, in this book, landmarks, tombs, lost kings, artifacts, that archaeologists till today look at the Bible for evidence to see where those things are. They dig it up and they find it. Should we trust the word of God then? I don't know. But it's still worth considering. I mean, it's being historically accurate. Jesus himself, in the New Testament, fulfilled 300 prophecies. Yet, the prophecies were written 250 years before he was even born. And they knew that he was going to be crucified, even though crucifixion wasn't even a thing back when they wrote it. They knew that he was going to be traded for money, even though they, didn't, they knew the exact amount of coins. The New Testament writers, which are the disciples, they died horrible deaths for a lie or was it the truth you see they saw jesus when he rose again without jesus rising from the dead again and we wouldn't have christianity we wouldn't be christians and they were put to death and they said do you believe that you saw jesus rise again and they said yes now why would they die for a lie should we trust the word of god then uh, we're getting a little close i think we should long ago there was a professor that once told <laughs> that once told, the professor was atheist, and he told her student, why do you believe the Bible? She said, and I quote, I choose, I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical facts written by eyewitnesses during the life of other eyewitnesses. They report their events supernatural, and these took, and these took place in specific uh, fulfillment of specific prophecies, and claim that their writings are divined rather than by human origin. The professor looked at the girl and said, okay, well, I'll have to get back to you on that one. I don't know. <laughs> so I get asked all the time, should you understand the word of God and should you trust the word of God? And I could show you all the facts in the world, but the only way you're really going to understand the word of God is if you open up this book and read the word that is alive because your testimony cannot be fact-checked. Your testimony is what keeps 
you in the perfect relationship with God. And I can tell you every single reason why there's thousands of manuscripts that back up the Bible, but yet we have in our history books Julius Caesar, who has about this many manuscripts found. But we have a mile-long high uh, fact-checked manuscript. So a lot of times I get into debates. That's why I have this TikTok. I get into debates with atheists all the time, and I love it. And they say, where is your God during all these times in America where bad things are happening? Where's your God here? Where's your God there? And I say, whoa, 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 Karen of TikTok. You're telling me you want to kick God out of politics. You want to kick God out of schools. You want to kick God out of education. You want to kick God out of being preached in public. And you want to know where God is? But the thing is, God is not a God of petty. God is a God of transformation and love. And if you understand where God is, he's right here. And he's been with us the whole time. So I ask that you guys, if you could take something from this, it's that we have a God that loves us. He died for us. He died on the cross for our sins. And nothing can change that. It is fact. And this is fact. This isn't some fairy tale. So I ask that you open your Bibles tonight and start understanding the word of God and building that relationship with him because he loves us and he wants to talk to us. Thank you, guys. Give it up for Evelyn. <laughs> Uh, hello, I'm Evelyn. Um, so I just want to say thank you, God, for this opportunity. All these five-minute preachings that I've done have always transformed my life. So I re it really makes me um, reflect on my life. So thank you, Pastor Matt, and thank you, God, for this opportunity. I'm old school as well. I got my little journal. <laughs> um, so when I asked God, what do you want me to speak on, um, I heard the word hope. And I was like, uh, well, like, what about faith, God? Like, come on. Faith can move mountains. Hope is like, I hope so. So I kind of ignored it, and I started doing another preaching. And then that, and the next morning, I was worshiping in my car. And of course, a song was playing all about hope. And I'm like, OK, God, I get it. Hope. We're going to do hope. So um, later that day, um, I'm a third grade teacher, so I was with my class. And later that day, I heard about the horrible news of the shooting um, in the school. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard about it. Um, and just knowing that it was fourth graders and being with my third graders, I just took a look at them and I just took them in and I was like, wow, like, thank you God for the fact that they're there and they're alive and I was able to be with them all year. They're going to fourth grade, they're continuing um, their life. So it was just a blessing. And, and then so I started to think about hope and how that is such a hopeless situation and how when we're in a hopeless situation, we suffer, right? When we're suffering, we're looking for hope. We don't have hope. So I looked in the Bible and I started looking um, for suffering and what God says about suffering. So in Romans 5.3, it says, we rejoice in our suffering. So rejoice in our sufferings? Are we supposed to be dancing and, and so happy that we're going through something tough? No. Um, God obviously recognizes that we get sad, that we, we go through things like he made us an emotional being. So it's not that God is saying rejoice in your suffering and forget your emotions. But the Bible verse continues to say, knowing that your suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. So the reason why God is saying rejoice in your suffering is because it is an opportunity to develop your character. It's in our worst moments that we're like, wait, 
let me look at myself. What's going on with me inside? It's your opportunity to say, what do I need to change? What's going on? Uh, I need to, do I need to pray? Do I need to pray more? Do I need to fast? Do I need to worship more? Um, haven't been to church in a while. Like, what, what's, what's going on? I, I, need, I need hope, right? So you start to recognize that you need some inner work done when we're going through things. And it's not to say God is making you suffer so that you can be a better person. We're all going to suffer, whether you have a relationship with God or not, whether you pray every day or not, you are going to suffer. It's just part of life. It's part of sin, right? So you're going to suffer. But God is saying because we have a relationship with God and because he, he, we are Christians, we're able to take that as an opportunity. Our suffering doesn't go in vain. He's saying you're suffering. You, you can use that as an opportunity to grow, to grow as a person. So the Bible verse continues and it says, and character produces hope, and hope never fails us. So in that moment, you become more of a hopeful person. You start to build your character in God. You start to get closer to God. And you become, you eventually become that person that no matter what you're going through, you know that you have God and that your hope is in God. So you become a person that doesn't see the glass half empty, but the glass half full. And Tying it back to the shooting, I'm sure, at least for me, it was like I was looking at my kids and I held them extra tight. And I'm sure a lot of parents felt that. And even husbands and wives, I saw there was a wife, a teacher that passed away as well. And I'm sure in that moment, you just start to look at yourself and you start to reflect like, Maybe I need to spend more time with my kids. Maybe I'm, I'm working too much and I'm not looking at the things that truly, truly matter in this life. So in, in, in our suffering, again, it's an opportunity to do some, some inner work and to, and to really get closer to God. Um, so just the biggest takeaway that I want you guys to take is how can you be a better you? We're all suffering. We're all going through things, right? And so how can you be better? And then how can you get closer to God? And I just want to say thank you again. And, and that's basically it. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to go through things. So how can you be a better you? How can you get closer to God? How can you make your suffering not just be in vain? Thank you so much. All right. Good morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Second Chronicles. And I'm going to do this thing in five minutes or six minutes or less. We're going we're gonna to get it. Um, I'm going to teach you from Second Chronicles chapter 20. And we're gonna, we're, I'm just going to unload a few things on what to do when you have a problem. Are you ready to take some notes? Like, what, how do we respond when a problem shows up, okay? Um, and again, I had a problem. My wife was going to preach for me this weekend, and my son got sick. And I go, I got 10 minutes to write a five-minute message. Let's go. It's going to be good. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20. In verse 2, uh, Jehoshaphat is the king at the time, and they come to Jehoshaphat and they say, a vast army is coming against you from Edom from the other side of the Dead Sea. How many of you know when you're a king, that's a bad day? Come on, right? You open the Chase Bank app and you got no money and there's five more days to the month. Okay, like you got a problem, right? Like, like gas just doubled. You got a problem, right? How much that cost? How many of you go to Publix and you're like, I'm not very good at managing money anymore? Like, that's, that was a lot of money right there. So, so you, uh, problems just show up, don't they? Nobody looks for problems, right? Like, not a single human being in the world is like, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to find a problem. No one does that. 
One of my favorite movies, uh, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 80s. How many 80s babies in the house? That's right, I knew you were good looking. I, I knew it, I could see it on you, that 80s spirit of glory. How many of you are excited for Top Gun? Come on, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I want to go see it. I'm just an old school Tom Cruise fan. Um, like that movie so much, I named my son Maverick. I really did. That's where it comes from, Top Gun. I was five years old when my dad let me watch Top Gun. Probably too young to watch Top Gun. But uh, it, take my breath. Up. My dad's like, son, don't look at this part. I'm like, what? Like, what? Like, you know, it's like, and uh, my dad, he was great. He let me watch way too many things at five years old. He put me on my first motorcycle at six from the country. Just to give you an idea of, of you know, like, that's my dad. He's, he's a wonderful man. And uh, I don't do that to my kids, just so you know, okay? Like, I'm trying to stay out of jail. This movie from the 80s was The Karate Kid 2. Do y'all, you ever seen anybody old enough to see The Karate Kid 2? Okay. This is still Daniel's son. I love the Cobra Kai they brought back. And, uh, and so he, he goes with Mr. Miyagi to his hometown, right? And this guy there is a bully, and he's picking on him, picking on him, picking on him. And he won't leave Daniel alone. And Daniel goes, listen, man, I don't want any trouble. To which he replies, maybe trouble's looking for you. Why does it always feel like trouble's looking for us? And problems are looking for us. In 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat has a problem, and it just shows up. You never have to go searching for problems. They just show up. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me say that before, because I want to get that in your heart and in your mind. Number one, what did Jehoshaphat do? Okay, what did, what did he do? Let's look at verse, at verse 5. It says, he stands up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the temple of the Lord, in front of the courtyard, and he says this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. What a great line that is. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in its sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether sword of judgment, plague, famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. When a problem shows up, number one, he prayed. If you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer is our first response, not our last resort. So often, even as believers, are like, well, I did everything else. Might as well pray about it. As if that's the worst option we have. Right? Like, oh, I, I tried everything. Nothing worked. Let's try God. What a religious mentality that is. We begin with prayer. Prayer can do anything God can do. What a great thought is. Prayer isn't based in my power. It's based in his power. One of the reasons I'm still a Christian after 20 years of living is that I've seen the power of prayer. You know, I was talking to somebody this week, and they were struggling their faith a little bit, and they were asking, like, you know, after 20 years, why are you still in this game after all the things that have happened in the church and all this stuff? And and I said, well, I, I never started following Jesus because of the success of the church. And so I'm not going to leave Jesus because of the failures of the church. I started following Jesus because of prayer and what he did for me and how he saved my soul and how he got me through depression and all this stuff. And so why would I leave him because somebody else fails? Just because somebody else goes through a divorce doesn't mean I'm going to go home and divorce my wife this week. He prayed. He prayed. 
Number two, this is incredibly important. He listened to God's response. A prophet stood up from among them after that, uh, that prayer, and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Boy, write that down. Tomorrow, uh, march down against them. They will be climbing up, right? And he tells them exactly where they will be. And verse 17, you will not have to fight this battle. Take your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. After you pray, number one, number two, hear what God is saying. I don't want an opinion. I don't want 50 opinions. I want to hear what God is saying. So many times in my life, I'm like, do you want me to do something? Or do you want me just to stand here and believe you for it? Because if I can hear from you, I'm okay. All I need to do is hear your word and your will, and I can either do it, tell me how to do it, or I can stand here and believe you for it. Either way, I'm okay, but I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. Church, we spend three hours watching Netflix and Obi-Wan Kenobi and Disney Plus, and, and I do too. But if you're only taking five minutes to hear from God and you'll entertain yourself for two hours, no wonder why it's hard to hear from him. Let me pass to you for 30 seconds, right? Like we give so much of our life to so many things. Have you dedicated a portion of time to hear from your father? This is not a condemning message, but I want you to check yourself. When was the last time you heard from him? Hearing from God is, is, is the key to life. It's the key to life. I want to hear what you are telling me as I face this problem. Number three, incredibly equally important, they did exactly what God said. They prayed, they heard, and they did what he said. They just acted out what he said. It says early in the morning in verse 20, they left for the desert of Tekoa. They did exactly what he said. God, what do you want me to do? And I'll just do it. I'll put it on repeat. I'll, I'll obey. I'll listen. I'll go through with it. Whatever you want, I will submit myself to your will. I will do it. They, they did what God said. They acted in faith what he told them to do. And number four, they faced it with worship. It says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army. I love this. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and in, that were invading Judah, and they were defeated. I can always face my problems with worship. I can always face my problems. I'm probably over time. I'm going to wrap it up right now. When I worship, God moves. If you're taking notes, hang with me for two more seconds, okay? When I worship, the weight is transferred. In weightlifting, there's this thing called the spotter. And when the weight gets too much, you go, yo, man, help me out. And the spotter comes along. And if you're doing squats, for example, they'll kind of give you this bear hug and lift you up. That's what I do when I worship. When I worship, I say, God, the weight's too much. I need my heavenly spotter. And he will come, and he will hug, and he will carry you. There is a weight transfer when you worship. Paul worshiped when he was in jail. His chains fell, and the chains of others fell. Transferred the, the weight. 
When you can't hear his voice, worship. When you don't know what to do, worship. When you're in pain, worship. When your marriage isn't working out and it's in a rut, worship. When you don't know how to train your kid, worship. Right? When you got more month than money, come on somebody, worship. I never have to face the battle alone. I can always worship. This is why we sing first on Sundays. We lead with worship. We begin with worship. I want to tell my neighbor, my weak, my problem, to get to me, you've got to get through my worship first. Amen. Church, let's lead with worship. Do you get something out of that? All right. Now, I just warmed the place up because Desmond's about ready to bring the house down. So, yeah. Come on, man. Let's give it up for this guy. I love this man. He's a wonderful man of God. All right. That's, that's a good word right there. We'll probably open in uh, Proverbs 16 and 9. Uh, Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again to hear a word from you. I thank you for, uh, man, there's been a lot of meat this morning. I'm going to try to figure out how to digest, but we thank you for your presence, your word, your instruction. Hide me behind your cross. Speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I want to talk about, I just came back from Israel uh, a couple months ago, and, um, and it was crazy. As awe-inspiring as the entire trip was, Probably the place where I had the most revelation was in a place where there was little to no biblical significance, right? There's this, this thing called uh, Mount Masada. And the entire time as we, as we lead up to the trip, uh, every time we have our Zoom meetings, everyone just keeps talking about, hey, are you going to do the hike? Are you going to do the hike? And I'm, I'm like, well, look, you know, you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. Like, whatever. You know, it's flesh and pride kicking in or whatever. We get out to Israel, uh, same thing. Each day of the trip, as we get closer to the, to the Masada hike day, it's all the talk, you know, centers around, hey, are you still going to do it? Yo, yo, even Kez didn't make it. You know, and Kez, and anyone knows Kez McCorvey, he's an All-American, uh, a wide receiver from Florida State back in the day. And so when you hear, like, hey, he didn't make it, you know, I'm a lineman, dude. I ain't, I'm, not, I'm not a wide receiver. Like, brother starts to have some, some trepidation here. But I'm like, whatever, I already said I'm going to do it. So here's the deal. My goal in these next few minutes is simply this. Uh, the Lord spoke to me, and, and I'm hoping that he's going to speak through me, uh, with regards to this particular Masada hike. I did my research, as I, you know, the day before. I went online, let me, let me see what this whole thing is about, right? And everything I read, it did not prepare me for the actual hike itself. So I read, it was like, it's a two, yeah, <laughs> dude. You know, I had a game plan. I, I read, it was like a two-kilometer hike, a snake pass from the bottom to the top, 700 steps. So I'm calculating in my head. Well, see, when we used to run stadiums, it was 88 stadiums from the bottom to the top. So that's going to be like eight and a half. Like, I've calculated precisely how I'm going to ascend from the bottom to the very top of Masada. And the reality is, I want you to begin thinking about your own Masada in your own lives. Because we all have a Masada. We all have a mountain that God has called for us to climb in our lives. And so our first point is simply this. As we arrive to the base of Masada, and I look up, and I'm like, oh, no, th th this, ain't what, this ain't what it said on the Internet. <laughs> like, I had this grand vision of how I was going to get from the bottom to the top, and all I thought about was 700 of those. This straight linear ascent from the bottom to the top, and then we get there, and what I realize is, all right, there may be 700 steps, but they are not sequential. They are not linear. Like, there's like five steps here, a path, five steps there, another path. Like, dude, this is not what I thought. 
And to be quite frank, when the Lord calls us to something in our lives, that's what winds up happening. We have this vision for how we're going to attack this thing. But the reality is God has his own. So, you know, the first point, if it's up there, is you can write your plan and purpose in pen. And this ain't mine. I stole it from some past I heard the other day, and I loved it. You can write your plan and purpose in pen. But be prepared to write your steps in pencil. You go to Proverbs 16 and 9, it talks about the fact that, uh, what does it tell us here in, in 16 9? It said, up there in their hearts, humans plan their course, but it's the Lord that establishes their steps. So here we are. You know, this group that all talked about making this trip up Masada, you know, my, 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 uh, the, the tour guy was like, hey, once you start, you can't stop. You know, because the bus can't get up there. Like, if, you know, if you pass out, you're on your own. Like, yo, like... <laughs> Everybody talked about doing it, then at the moment of truth, it's just me and, like, five little dudes. And I'm like, oh, all these people I thought I was going to beat, like, they did like, no, nah, we're going to take the tram. Cook, you still doing it? Like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Like, man. And so here we are. What they don't tell you, by the way, is the base of the two-kilometer uh, snake path, it's about a kilometer and a half just to get to the base of it. They don't even tell you that. So here we are. So, here, you know, we start this path. I put my headphones on because I'm like, look, I got to distract myself from the pain that I'm about to endure. Right? It's about a 45-minute to an hour-long hike, they say, on average. So here we go. I get to the base. And by the time I get to the base, because I had to walk a, a kilometer and a half uphill. The brother's out of breath already. I ain't on front. I'm like, whoo. You know, you don't want people to see you out of breath, so you try to take that slow, deep. No, you good. Go, 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 go. So I start walking, man. So I got the headphones on. I got this game plan in my head, right? 12 to 15 songs that'll get me to the top. It's all good. But I tell you, man, after about two songs, it felt like it was an hour already. So here I was. I'm, I'm struggling because I keep looking at the top of the mountain. I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't think I'm going to make it. I keep looking at all these other people that are way at the top, and I'm like, I'm never going to be where they're at. And this is the other problem as we're trying to ascend to the top of the mountain that God's called us to get to the top of. When we begin to just focus on what other people are doing or that long-term goal that we're, that we're attaining for, it can frustrate you. And the enemy knows this. And so sure enough, I don't know how far I had gotten to this particular point. All I know is it's been, you know, it felt like an hour was like 12 minutes, right? But here I am. I'm like, look. I'm ready to give it up. All those voices began to creep in my head. You know, even kids didn't make it. You know, Bob Crabb brought the Patriots out there. Half of them chose not to even do it. Like, I'm thinking of every reason why I need to figure out how to get out of this thing. Like, maybe I can pretend like I caught a cramp. I don't know. Like, do I have asthma? No, but I'm going to have it today. Like, I'm thinking of everything to get out of Because here's the deal. When you focus on how far you have left, the enemy uses it as an entryway to frustrate you, to dissuade you, to discourage you. But here's the craziest thing. I didn't want the team that I went up there with to see me <laughs> trying to catch my breath. So I, I turned my back to the mountain. And as I turned my back to the mountain, this is when the Lord, it, it just hit me. Because as I turned my back, I was going to pretend like I was taking pictures of the scenery and everything. But as I, as I turned my back, I was able to see where I started. And I'm like, oh, snap. Because I saw other people where I first started, and they looked like little ants. And what they told me in that moment is like, dude, you've actually made progress. Like, you may not be at the mountaintop yet. You may not be where those other people are, but you've, you've gained ground. And so I had to be asking myself, well, how did I get here in this particular moment? 
And it wasn't me just staring at the top, taking these huge leaps and bounds to get here. Ultimately, it was merely a series of next steps. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, um, at the very, you know, like, time won't permit for us to go through the entire pericope. It is worth reading clearly. But it says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Like, when we, when we are pushing, like, we're trying to get, you know, we're trying to uh, uh, restore and, and fix our marriages. Maybe there's this, there's this future marriage, this wedding that I want. Like, I want this relationship to, to go into marriage territory. Maybe I'm just trying to, 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 to be as holy as I possibly can. I've just started my walk with the Lord. But all I can see in this process is like, man, hold on. So I got to give that up forever? And all I begin to worry about is, but what if I fail next week? Like, what if, if I, what if in this relationship I do everything I'm supposed to this week and I still don't have the results that I'm looking for next week? We begin to worry about so many things that are out of our control when the reality is, and what Jesus is telling us is, to focus merely on your next step. And so I'd love to be able to tell you that I finally got, I got to the top solely focused on just next steps. But no, because even with those series of next steps, I ain't gonna lie, man, that thing was still tough. Quads are still burning, lungs are still burning. Like, yo, I needed some help. I didn't want to ask for it, but I thank God that I was surrounded with a couple of brothers that were on that trip with me. That they saw, you know, they, they, they probably looked back and were like, hey, man, that's our brother here. And I remember Neil and Billy, they came back down, and my flesh like, no, nah, man, I'm good, I'm good. Y'all go ahead, y'all go ahead. I got this. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, cook, you're our brother, man. We're going to do this together. And I remember, like, the entire time we're making our way up this thing, you know, I keep on, like, oh, I'm so sorry, man. Y'all could be to the top right now. Y'all should just leave. And they're like, nah, we're we're doing this together. And I was reminded how Scripture constantly points us to the fact we were not called to do life by ourselves. You know, know, we're going to use... Exodus 17, again, we won't go through the entirety of that particular narrative, but here's the, here's the deal. The Israelites making their way towards their promised land, their own Masada, if you will. They're attacked by the Amalekites, much like we ourselves will deal with hurdles and obstacles. We'll deal with attacks and frustrations and, you know, and, and things along the way. And the question begs, how do we deal with it? How do we overcome those obstacles? How do we deal with attacks? And it's not us simply doing it by ourselves. Even focus on the series of next steps weren't going to get me to the top, at least not in the time frame that I wanted, by myself. Moses goes to Joshua as they're under attack, and what Moses didn't do is say, Joshua, don't worry about it. God's got us. Just chill. He also didn't tell Joshua, hey, man, I don't know where God is, so we got to do this on our own. No, what Moses said was Joshua, and this is the part I want you to focus on. Choose, this particular translation, choose some of our men and go out to fight. Notice he didn't just say, hey, grab anybody. He says, choose for us men and go fight. I think part of our problem is when we attempt to do life with other people, we just pick anybody. We pick anybody that will co-sign any of the mess that we, when we, oh man, I can't believe I cheated on my girlfriend again. Oh man, you know what I'm saying? You're just a man, dog. It's all good. Like, no, that's not the one you want to do life with. What we want are people. That's why he said, choose for as men that we can go into battle with. And so I was fortunate, I was blessed to have two brothers that were right there that, that were willing to go into battle with me, to help me to get to the top. And so as the story goes, 
I love the fact that Moses didn't tell Joshua one thing to do something different. He, my, Joshua chose his, but Moses chose his as well. He goes to the top of the hill with Aaron and her, and the Bible tells us he held up the staff of God because he also recognized that even doing battle with his brothers, it is God that brings about victory. And what we care about right today is how do we get victory? How do we get to our mountaintops? Yes, you know, what we do is this. We allow the Lord to order our steps for sure. And then we focus on the series of next steps. And that third point we talked about is you don't step alone, right? You walk with your brother. You choose for yourself men and women that you can do life with. And the last thing is simply this. Moses had a staff of God for a reason because he recognized it was God who ultimately delivers victory, right? And so as the story went, he holds the staff up, and as he's holding it up, the, the Israelites are reigning victorious, but he's a man, he's tired, he gets old, he's frail. And so his arms got weak and his arms had come down and then the Amalekites would begin to win the battle. But because he chose for himself men to go be, to do battle with, he had Aaron on one side, her, her on the other, they put some rocks up underneath him so he could sit down. One held up one arm, the other held up the other arm. And the Bible tells us that he was able to keep it up until they're going down in the sun. Why is that important? Because God didn't really need Moses to hold up the staff the entire time. God could have simply said, hey, just go up to the top of the mountain, hold the staff up one time, and I got you. But I think there's something represented in the fact that he had to keep it up. And it is the constancy of reliance on God that it represented. And so, I, yes, I, I allowed the Lord to order my steps, right? I wrote my steps in pencil, you know, and I made sure I focused on next steps and I had people that I was able to step with. But I ain't going to front that entire time with or without my brothers. Lord, help me get to the top. Lord, help me get to the top. And before I knew it, when I was like, my boys were like, yo, just get over to the next set of steps and we'll take another break. And I got to the top of the next set of steps. Lord, help me get to the next one. And I realized, oh, there are no more. I'm here. The Israelites reigned victorious in that particular battle because ultimately it was God who brought about victory. My prayer for each and every one of us is simply this. Whatever your Messiah is in your life, it is the Lord who ultimately will deliver victory. But he's saying it's all about steps. Let him order it, focus on your next ones, and don't step alone. Gracious Lord, we thank you again for your word in this time and your presence. Uh, Help us, Lord, to ascend to those Messiahs in our lives that you place and that you've called us to. We love you and thank you for how you move. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Share with a few friends. Thanks for helping us make Jesus famous right here in South Florida. Again, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to see you sometime. Or as always, visit us online, citylift.church. Have an amazing week.